Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Oh, wait a minute, he's not here. Uh, oh, sorry, this is the dependent vassal state of Kevin O'Sullivan. Mike's still enjoying a well-deserved week off. He'll be back with you all on Monday. And back with me, I'm looking forward to seeing him again when we do Mike and Kev. Monday morning, 9.30. It's been great fun with Alex Phillips. Tomorrow, it's JJ and a COB. Uh, uh, but the real deal returns on Monday, me and Mike. And Mike will be back doing this show and all the other shows that he does as well. Uh, now, uh, coming up in the next uh, three thrilling hours, it's going to be a hectic show. We've got lots of big breaking news, lots of topical debate to come. Uh, we're going to talk about, of course, uh, Rishi Sunak's extraordinary green user. And as I keep saying, you know, slowly but surely, the dumbos at Westminster are finally realising that uh, taxing us to the hilt, charging us lots of money, making us poorer and colder, all in the name of something called carbon net zero, that no one really understands what it is and we're never going to get to it anyway. Uh, it's not popular, it's not a vote winner. So he did this screeching U-turn yesterday, made a speech uh, in which he implied the government hasn't been honest about any of this. Of course they haven't been honest. And finally conceded that to actually doesn't really matter what we do uh, because we only produce in Britain here uh, less than 1% of the world's carbon emissions. Meanwhile, over in China, spewing out 28%, 1,100 coal fuel power stations, 300 more being built. Why do we have to sacrifice our lives uh, on the altar of something that China is doing absolutely nothing about? It's just laughing at us. So slowly but surely, the Westminster bubble gang are realising that the public are not that bothered about all this green claptrap. And by the way, here's to Just Stop Oil and Extinction Rebellion. Their demonstrations and their protests have really had a big effect, haven't they? The effect they've had is the government's changed its mind. Uh, now, uh, also, uh, consultants paid, what, £3,000 a shift to cover for striking junior doctors. Uh, strikers, uh, consultants on 140 grand a year, brought in to cover for junior doctors, getting 3,000 extra quid a day. Uh, how about that? What a mess. Uh, we're going to talk about COVID, the pandemic, how it has changed us as a people. Uh, it's now seen as socially acceptable for kids not to go to school. 
that's not a good situation, but you can hardly blame kids or their parents, considering teachers and the government contrived to keep them out of school for two years because of COVID. So uh, when they're not going now, what, uh, what do you expect? They were, they were sort of taught how to not go to school and now they're not doing it. Also, uh, Alex Mahan, the uh, chief executive of Channel 4, more of her later, uh, she says uh, that the pandemic has produced a generation of young people uh, who are absolutely incapable of working with, talking to, relating to anyone who they disagree with. That's good, isn't it? That's really good. Uh, generation Z. They can't work with people who don't hold the same opinions as them. Generation Z, what a waste of space that lot are. Uh, and uh, also the Jimmy Savile squad, that disastrous set of coppers who went round uh, arresting every single DJ they could and every single showbiz personality they could, they could because after Jimmy Savile thankfully died uh, and we found out about his atrocities, uh, the police assumed that all famous people must be the same. Uh, brilliant, aren't they? Anyway, they amazingly, they dusted down that squad, reformed it to probe Russell Brand. So if you're a stand-up comedian, a television comedian, get ready to have your collar felt because the police will be arresting every funny person in the country pretty damn soon. So all that and so much more. Don't go anywhere. Stick with me right here, right now, at the home of free speech and common sense. Talk TV. Let's spend Thursday morning together. And uh, right off the bat, uh, let's get to my first guest. I was with her last night uh, on the talk. Many of these issues we've already discussed, but it's always great to get her opinion on everything. Uh, talk TV's international editor, the excellent Isabel Oakshot. Good morning, Isabel. Good morning. Uh, first of all, let's talk about the U-turn. I mean, you and I made our feelings plain last night. You know, it just... It's almost bewildering to me that these boys and girls in the Westminster bubble until now thought it was wildly popular, a real vote winner, to tell people, we're going to make you poorer and colder, ban you from going uh, around in your own cars, uh, we're going to charge you for all of that, and also uh, we're going to look down on you if you go to Spain on your holiday, because that's bad for the environment. I mean, my question really, Isabel, is why has it taken Rishi so long to realise the bleeding obvious? Well, it's not that they thought it was a real vote winner. I mean, if they'd paused to think for a second, they'd have known perfectly well it wasn't a vote winner. It's just that they didn't care because they think they know better than ordinary people. They think that uh, ordinary people who instinctively can tell that this hurtling rush to something vague called net zero is frankly uh, not really founded in any kind of rational judgment. They think that those ordinary people are too stupid to understand the issues. I mean, I've lost count of the number of times I tweet about climate change and the net zero agenda, and I'm repeatedly put down as just being too stupid to understand it. <laughs> well, 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 hang on a minute. I have a first class degree, a number of academic scholarships. I'm not too stupid to understand it. And neither are millions of ordinary people who realize that it is patently obvious that we are not in an era of global boiling. <laughs> it, is, it is apparent that the weather is changing. Quite how much of that is man-made and we can influence is absolutely up for discussion and debate. Most people, I think, in Britain 
are keen on conservation. They want to save animals and they want to the planet to be a nice green and pleasant place. They want England and the UK to be green and pleasant. What they don't want is to be bankrupted uh, at the altar of something that just doesn't make any sense when other countries in the world are just pressing ahead, as you rightly said, authorizing and giving planning permission to yet more coal-fired power stations, burning away their fossil fuels. We're already setting an amazing example on this, but at enormous cost to households that can already uh, struggle to withstand the huge cost of living burden that came off the back of the profligacy uh, by the state during COVID. So Sunak has made a a panicked decision here, um, not because he and his mates don't think, still think secretly that they know better than the rest of us. They still think that. But what they're staring at is electoral oblivion in a year's time. And there is nothing that concentrates a politician's mind uh, more firmly than the prospect of being out of power, out of a job. So they're hoping that they can claw it back with this. Um, I say uh, good luck to them. I think they might just about inch back from the precipice, from hurtling to total political oblivion. But if they think this is enough, um, and by the way, Rishi Sunak is still saying, I still believe in the net zero. Uh, Of course he does. Of course he does. Um, It's not going to be enough. Uh, meanwhile, uh, poor old Keir Starmer is looking uh, like he's been completely stymied by this, still promising us a greener, unfairer future. Sorry, greener, fairer future. Still committed to this green claptrap. Uh, his response to Rishi's U-turn was to say, well, Labour will still ban petrol and diesel cars in 2030. Uh, why does he think that will be popular? Brilliant. I mean, brilliant. What first class politics from Keir Starmer. I mean, has he has he spent much time out of his cosy Westminster bubble? Has he got away much from those um, nice dinner party uh, conversations that he has and the salons and the, you know, the, the globe trotting around and hanging around with people who only provide an echo chamber? You know, outside the M25, this is not popular. People don't understand really what net zero, what it is. Why, why do we need to do it? And they instinctively feel um, that there's something very wrong with this. And by the way, they actually quite like the fact that the summers are a bit hotter. <laughs> you know, that, that is the truth. Um, you know, the whole thing about we're going to force you to have a heat pump. Well, we now know that these heat pumps are completely unfit for purpose in the vast majority of properties. People aren't stupid. You know, they can see that that is an asinine policy. If you haven't got a better alternative to the existing setup in people's homes, don't force them to buy something that is going to leave them with a tepid shower. Yeah, I mean, these are policies to make us poorer and colder. Rishi said, uh, still banging on about heat pumps yesterday, that uh, the government will immediately uh, increase its uh, uh, what is prepared to give people 
uh, to install these useless uh, cold pumps. Uh, £7,500. Uh, I believe that the average cost to install one of these is about £24,000. So if you've got a spare £15,000, £20,000, the government will chip in a very little bit and you can do your bit to save the planet. Once again, look, I recently had a new boiler uh, put in, a gas boiler, I'm proud to say, only a couple of years ago. It works brilliantly and there is no way on earth I am having a heat pump installed. And another thing Rishi seems to have realised, uh, Keir hasn't realised it yet, if a government starts telling its citizens what they can and cannot do in their own homes, uh, it is it is uh, straying into extremely dangerous territory. Uh, the authoritarianism in the energy bill is extraordinary. You know, if you don't put in a heat pump, I mean, I guess they've uh, railed back from this a little bit today. But until yesterday, if you don't put in a heat pump, you'll go to prison. Uh, businesses, you know, same for business owners. You've got a prison if you don't do everything we tell you. Again, uh, the Rishi and the gang are realising that this kind of authoritarianism, frankly, isn't British and is not viable. I mean, look, this is all an absolute racket. And I think what many um, who observe this, the whole net zero debate with bewilderment, perhaps underestimate, is the sheer scale of the vested interests attached to it to this the quangos the charities the businesses that are all benefiting from gargantuan subsidies it is a multi 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 billion pound gravy train and there are an awful lot of people whose livelihoods depend on continuing to perpetuate this sense of panic and impending doom that the world's about to come to an end. And that is their sales pitch. You know, without that uh, fear, without continuing uh, to, to convince policymakers and try to convince voters uh, that, the, that the sky's about to fall in, the rivers are all about to flood over and we're all going to be swimming for our lives under a boiling sun, um, they can't continue to peddle their products. Yeah. Uh, follow the money is always the way. Um, that will explain to you why we are where we are. You know, every pretty much every big business is invested in this in some way, um, and they're all at it together. Uh, and ordinary people can see that much of it is a gigantic con. Absolutely. I'm just watching uh, King Charles addressing the French Senate, no doubt uh, uh, vocalising his own green obsession. Uh, yeah, well, we talked about this last night. I love the fact he banned asparagus from the French state banquet last night, which seemed to me to be exclusively attended by British people like Mick Jagger and Hugh Grant, of all people. Uh, he banned asparagus from the uh, menu because it's out of season in France and therefore would have to be flown in. And that's bad for the environment. But it's OK for him and the Queen to fly 100 miles from Britain to Paris when they could perfectly well get the train. Uh, and it's OK for them to stand in the Champs-Élysées and look, watch this massive great flyover. Again, it's the hypocrisy of all these green warriors that really gets on my nerves, including His Majesty the King. Uh, hold these thoughts, Isabel. We'll resume this conversation after these messages. I'm talking to Talk TV's international editor, Isabel Oakshot. I'm Kevin O'Sullivan. This is Talk TV live from the Talk Radio studios. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. 
Welcome back. I'm still talking to Talk TV's international editor, Isabel Oakshot. Uh, Isabel, John Venables, uh, one of the killers of poor little Jamie Bulger, uh, now a grown man, a fully-fledged paedophile, uh, spent uh, all of his life ever since that horrible killing uh, in and out of jail. He's been in jail for some time because of possessing more than a thousand vile images of paedophilia. Uh, now, he's uh, been granted a parole board hearing in November, a two-day hearing. Uh, now, I'm not necessarily against people like him getting a parole board hearing. I, I mean, you know, you can't th lock people up and throw away the key unless they're Lucy Letby. Uh, it's the parole board I don't trust. You know, they, they tried to let out the taxi rapist John Warboys. They did let out Colin Pitchfork, the schoolgirl murderer and raper. Uh, they did let out Gary Glitter uh, after only half of his 16-year sentence for vile paedophile crimes basically throughout his life. These are dangerous people. And the parole board seems to have a mania for releasing dangerous people. Uh, and uh, my heart goes out to Jamie Borgia's poor parents, Denise Fergus and Ralph Borgia. Denise uh, wants to testify to the parole board. She says, uh, if you let this guy out, he will kill another child. Uh, so it's not that he's getting a parole board hearing uh, that I necessarily object to, but in my ideal world, he wouldn't get one. It's that I don't trust the parole board. Do you? In a word, no. Um, look, this guy has been given every opportunity to, to build a new life, you know, at enormous taxpayer uh, expense and resource. He was given a whole new identity. And we can argue rightly so. He was 10 when uh, he and his friend committed one of the most atrocious crimes in British criminal history, uh, something that no one who was around at the time will ever forget. But he was 10 years old and he came from the most horrific, dysfunctional family background. So, of course, he had to be punished and so on and so forth. Um, but also, I think it was right that attempts were made to allow him, after an appropriate period of time, to build a new life and become a positive member of our society. He was young enough to be able to start again. And unfortunately, time and again, he has shown that he is incapable of doing that. He has been back in prison on a number of occasions uh, and in, in, in recent times, you know, has had this conviction for a thousand uh, indecent images of children. And just, just pause for a minute there. One thousand yeah. indecent images. Each one of those images is an abuse in its own right. So I'm sorry, in very exceptional rare cases, some people just can't ever be allowed their freedom. It is a danger to the public. It is as simple as that. Uh, let's hope the parole board, let's hope against hope that the parole board, for once in their miserable lives, make the right decision. They always sort of say, oh, well, prisons are really crowded. Yeah, but that doesn't mean we should be letting out menaces to society. And John Venables, without a doubt, is a menace to society. And I think we have to give credit to Robert Thompson, his accomplice, uh, who has rebuilt his life, and we've never heard of him since. Uh, and uh, you said last night on the talk, it's a very good point, why do we continue... Uh, to give John Venables anonymity. It's about time he uh, was uh, named, well, shamed uh, and photographed, yeah. isn't it? I think he should now be unmasked. <clears throat> I think that 
it was fine for them to have their new identity, fine and right that they should have the new identity and be able to build their new lives. But if you repeatedly end up back in prison, then you are clearly an ongoing uh, threat and negative um, drain on our society. Um, and therefore, I think particularly, by the way, if he's going to be allowed out, we should absolutely know who he is and what he looks like. Because like you, I don't trust the parole board. Um, so my plea to them would be, if you are going to do your usual moronic thing and <laughs> let out someone who is quite demonstrably a danger, particularly to children, then please can you at least show us the face of the person uh, that you're letting out and tell us what they are now known as um, so that we can all, as parents, take measures to protect our children. Very good point. Now, uh, lastly, let's talk about uh, the consultants, uh, their synchronised strike with the junior doctors continues apace, the poor things. They only earn an average of £140,000 a year, uh, not to mention the half a million or so most of them earn from their private practice. So, uh, you know, my heart does go out to these poor people. They definitely need more money. No, they don't. Uh, but uh, down in Plymouth, uh, when the, just the junior doctors were on strike, the consultants were brought in to cover for these junior doctors. The consultants earning an average of £140,000, quite a few of them, by the way, earning £200,000 a year from the NHS. Uh, guess how much they were being paid per day to cover for the junior doctors above and beyond their existing massive six-figure salaries. £3,000 a day. Uh, that strikes me as NHS mismanagement. Oh, and there's a surprise. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is obscene, isn't it? And, you know, I've just been through a horrendous few weeks uh, with a relative who has been critically ill and sadly died in hospital. And I have seen how desperately short of people and resources our NHS is and our hospitals are. And for doctors now to be withdrawing their labour and for others to be cashing in on it, I think is utterly appalling. Uh, we do need to pay um, NHS health professionals properly. Uh, otherwise, we are not going to have any NHS left. You and I can argue about whether that might actually be a good thing. <laughs> which... No argument from me. <laughs> but in the meantime, there are millions of people who need health care. Uh, and those consultants, if they are accepting those kinds of sums of money for a day's work on top of what they're already being paid, then I think they should have a long, hard look in the mirror and ask whether they should be anywhere near the NHS or why don't they just uh, just back out of the whole system and just go and earn privately, which they're perfectly free to do. Uh, but don't exploit the taxpayer in this way. Don't milk the system. Don't squeeze a broken system uh, until the pips come out. Yeah, and while these 140 grand a year consultants uh, strike for more money, uh, let's uh, not beat about the bush. Without a shadow of a doubt, uh, all of these medical strikes, the nurses, the ambulance drivers, the uh, junior doctors are now worse than ever. The junior doctors and the consultants uh, synchronising their strikes. Because of all of this, people 
have died, are dying. Patients are dying. 850,000 operations cancelled since Christmas because of these strikes. Uh, a couple of days strike uh, uh, about two weeks ago uh, resulted in 30,000 cancelled cancer appointments and surgeries. Uh, people are dying because of these strikes. So since they're asking for 35%, which is an obscene amount, grotesque claim anyway, seems to me they're asking for that because they don't want a solution. Uh, and since people die because of these strikes, these political strikes, must be time to consider adding uh, frontline medical workers uh, to the list of uh, professions that aren't allowed to strike. The police, prison officers, the armed forces. If they're going to go on strike and people are going to die uh, because of it, therefore uh, perhaps we should consider banning them from striking. I've always been in favour of banning strikes. I mean, my view is if you, I'm pretty hard line on this, you know, if you don't like your job and your paying conditions so much uh, that you want to withdraw your labour, fine, you've got a result, you've got a right to withdraw your labour. Uh, and an employer has a right to say, should have a right to say, well, in that case, I'll find someone else to do the job. Uh, that's how it works in the private sector. You can't go on strike if you decide you actually don't like your paying conditions. You either uh, negotiate to have a better deal or you you leave your job and go and find somebody else. You wouldn't expect to be able to just take some days off work and hold on to all your perks and privileges and the position that you have. Uh, and I would extend that ban to anybody who runs uh, critical national infrastructure like the railways and the tube system, because that has a hideous effect on uh, on everybody uh, when those strikes go on and on and on. And you're right about people dying, but it isn't just about people dying. It's about people getting iller. Again, I've seen this in the last few weeks with my own eyes. I have seen the way that operations are repeatedly cancelled on people who are already in hospital, already very ill. And you know what happens to those people? They are starved all day. They are not allowed anything, uh, no water, no food all day because they're on a list for an operation. And then at four o'clock in the afternoon, having been starved all day, they're told, oh, sorry, uh, we didn't have time to do your operations. We don't have enough doctors. Um, and this and repeatedly and if someone is already in hospital they are not in a fit state not to be given any food and drink absolutely uh just in case anyone is still saying it our nhs is not amazing it is an absolute shambles i think it's a national disgrace great to talk to you isabel as always thank you so much for your time isabel oakshot there the brilliant talk tv international editor when we come back we're talking to conservative mp for bracknell james sunderland we're going to get his take on rishi's green u-turn i'm kevin o'sullivan this is talk tv coming at you live from the talk radio studios see it hear it Think it. Talk radio and talk TV. Uh, anyway, uh, so Jeremy Carl tomorrow morning on breakfast, apparently, uh, uh, 6.30. Um, I think he might not be on tomorrow, but they're coming up soon. He's going to be teaming up with my friend Nicola Thorpe. Uh, so uh, that will be Talk TV's fabulous new breakfast show, and uh, we all look forward to that. Uh, now, uh, we're going to go uh, straight over now uh, to... Uh, uh, Tory MP for Bracknell, James Sunderland. Uh, good morning, James. 
Kevin, how are you? I'm very, very well. Uh, need to get your reaction to Rishi's green U-turn uh, yesterday. I think a lot of people said, thank God for that. You know, I don't want to lose my gas boiler. It works very well. Thank you very much. I like my petrol car. I might want to buy another one. Uh, I'm not too keen on the government uh, telling me how to live my life because of something called carbon net zero. Rishi seems to have realised that this green obsession was not really uh, a vote winner. Uh, what is your position on Rishi's U-turn? I think it's an outbreak of common sense. Um, we're in danger of looking like a Conservative government again now. <laughs> so, I'm, so I'm completely supportive. It was the right thing to do. It was an excellent speech. I couldn't support the Prime Minister anymore on this. And uh, we've got to bring the British people with us. There's no point the eco-zealots imposing their notion of the future on the rest of us we have to go at the pace that's measured and proportionate and pragmatic and bring the British people with us. And that's what we're doing. Uh, bear with me, uh, James. We're going to have a little look at your boss uh, making that speech yesterday. There's one element of it I'd like to discuss with you. Uh, but take it away, Mr Sunak. But there's nothing ambitious about simply asserting a goal for a short-term headline without being honest with the public about the tough choices and sacrifices involved and without any meaningful democratic debate about how we get there. Uh, well, James, he also said it's time uh, to be honest with the people about the realities of the green mission, if you like. Uh, and uh, he referred to something that the public have been crying out for politicians to accept, to uh, concede. And that is that Britain has done a hell of a lot uh, to be greener and uh, that we only now produce less than one percent of the world's uh, carbon emissions. And therefore, it doesn't seem logical that we should uh, have to restrict our lives, not buy petrol cars, not go on holiday to Spain, pay hundreds of pounds of extra levies on our energy bills. Uh, when we've done everything we can, we're very low emitters. Uh, why are we being uh, imposed? Are we having these impositions uh, foisted upon us uh, when we've done a lot, whereas China continues to spew out 28% of the world's pollution uh, and has 1,100 coal-fueled power stations and is building 300 more. Uh, there's a, a, an iniquity there, isn't there? I couldn't agree more. Um, let's be absolutely clear. The UK government is a world leader in net zero, has one of the most ambitious green agendas of any Western nation. We've led the way for several years now, we chaired COP26 for the first time ever, legally binding targets placed into law, international agreements. Our own record is pretty clear for everyone to see. And we're not rowing back on that commitment at all. We have to do this. Climate change is happening. There is no question at all that our wider approach to plastics and to emissions, which we've reduced by 50 percent since 1990 and 40 percent to 2010, the list goes on. Um, but what we have to do is to make sure that uh, we have maximum buy-in. And that's what this is all about. Um, and, and, and imposing these targets on the British people, you will buy an electric car in 2030. Yeah. You will pay more tax for air travel. Um, you will replace your boiler with heat pumps. Complete nonsense. That is not a conservative government. They're not conservative policies. Yeah. Um, we have got to maintain the 2050 target, no question about it. But uh, but, but again, it is right that we continue to lead the way, but in a way that's pragmatic, proportionate and sensible. Well, I must admit, I, I don't necessarily agree with you about the carbon net zero 2050 pledge. 
if, if for no other reason that like most of the British public, I'm not even sure what carbon net zero is. I don't think it's achievable. And the BBC, in a rare fit of good journalism yesterday, uh, went and trawled the streets of Bolton uh, and did a vox pop and asked all these people, what do you think carbon net zero is? None of them knew. So if nothing else, if the government is still determined to stick to this pledge, I think they should drop it. But if they are determined to stick to it, it's their responsibility to explain to the people of this country what the hell it is. Well, Kevin, look, it's about ambition and uh, there is no question. Talk to any scientist. I'll tell you that uh, climate change is real. Uh, we have got a duty to protect the planet. We've got a duty to bring young people, of course, who want a future that is green, environmentally friendly. I mean, that, 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 is, that, is, that is good, pragmatic politics, but it's how you do that that's important. And actually, the fact that China is polluting the world, the fact that the USA and India are gas guzzlers, yeah. we've got a role here to bring them with us because we can't keep burning hydrocarbons. But by the same token, you can't wean yourself off hydrocarbons overnight, which is why Rishi's approach, as announced yesterday, is entirely the right way to go, and uh, and I'm very supportive. It was a, it was a great moment. I totally agree. I just wish they get rid of uh, carbon net zero as well. Uh, I mean, do do, do you uh, really feel that the people of this country, you know, are incredibly committed to this carbon net zero project? Because I don't. Well, it's it's an individual thing ultimately, but I get enough correspondence in Bracknell um, from people who care about planet for whom this does matter and we have got a responsibility to the planet um so so i think in terms of ambition it is absolutely the right way to go but again it's how you do this and and you mentioned labor um in the preamble what's interesting here is that uh, there's no clear water uh, between the conservatives absolutely. and labor on this that's a good thing for next year the british people have a choice um you look at labor's plan to roll out more ULA schemes you've got labor's plan to do road pricing to tax car owners even more. I mean, their London-centric view does not speak for the majority of people in the UK. Uh, the Conservatives actually are on the side of working families, working people in business. And what we're not going to do is impose these huge taxes on people in the same way that Labour will. So I'm pretty comfortable right now that uh, Rishi's put a marker in the sand yesterday and it is absolutely the right way to go. I'll tell you what, old uh, Keir Starmer, he's missed out the letters U and N in his election pledge. Uh, he is still promising us a greener, unfairer future. Uh, it's looking pretty prehistoric now and uh, I think you've left him squirming here. Uh, so it's good to know uh, that we are on the same page. Last uh, question to you, uh, though, James. I mean, do you really think that millions of people around the country, uh, given that we've had to already have to give up uh, some of our way of life for the green dream, do you really think that they care that much that Britain is a world leader in uh, cutting back carbon uh, emissions? And uh, do you really think that Xi Jinping over in uh, Beijing is lying at wake at, at night going, oh, my God, I mean, Britain is really showing the way. I'm going to have to change my policies. I mean, do you see what I'm saying? It's a bit pie in the sky, isn't it? I am no eco-zealot, trust me. Um, you know, I'm a motorsports man, I'm a petrol head. Um, <laughs> you know, I love my car. Uh, people need their cars. People need their vans. Um, so this idea of as I said, weaning yourself of hydrocarbons overnight is not going to happen. But but I do think there is a role to play here. And I do think that we have to take these things seriously. 
Um, when people write to me about the environment and about climate change and plastic in the ocean, they're not wrong. And I think we absolutely have to support their view of the future. Um, whether China listens to us or not is for them to worry about, whether the Indians in the USA. But but don't forget, there's huge pressure being brought to bear on them. Their emissions are sky high. Um, global warming is a thing. Uh, and, and over time, I've no doubt at all that they'll recognise that the right thing to do is to have green ambition for the sake of our children. You really think that about the Chinese. I, I might disagree with you there, but uh, generally speaking, I think we're on the same page and it was really good to talk to you as always, James. Thank you very much. James Sundon there, to, uh, the Conservative MP for Bracknell. I'm Kevin O'Sullivan and this is Talk TV live from the Talk Radio studios. The home of common sense, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back. I'm Kevin O'Sullivan standing in for the great Mike Graham who's having a well-deserved week off. So this isn't the independent republic of Mike Graham. It is the dependent vassal state of Kevin O'Sullivan. Got to put up with me uh, for the rest of today and tomorrow. Uh, so one more day. Uh, Mike uh, will be back on Monday. I uh, can't wait for that, obviously. As I always say, it's Mike Graham's world. We just live in it. Uh, now, uh, later in this hour, we'll be having a look at uh, Prince Charles's, or Prince Charles, still making that mistake, King Charles's uh, visit to France. I mean, what's it all about, to be honest with you? It's my 35th visit to the France. Yeah, why? Why do you keep going there? Uh, you know, big banquet last night at Versailles, uh, where Mick Jagger and Hugh Grant were among the guests. Banning asparagus because it's uh, unenvironmentally friendly, uh, but very happy to fly over there himself, uh, even though it's only about a two hour train journey. And of course, standing there on Champs Elysees, watching this massive, great eco busting flyover. So, uh, hypocrisy incarnate there. Uh, we'll be talking about that later in the hour. Uh, also, Jamie Bulger, we need to talk about that. Mike Neville, former Met Police Detective Chief Inspector, will join me to discuss the grim prospect of uh, James's Bulger's killer, John Venables, potentially being let out, released from jail in November. Uh, you know, I don't suppose you're supposed to say this, but as far as I'm concerned with that guy, just lock him up, throw the key away. Uh, you can't do it legally. He's got a right to a parole hearing. Uh, uh, which I don't mind that, but what I do mind is I don't trust the parole board to make the right decision. They have a mania for releasing dangerous prisoners back into society, and John Venables is a serious danger to society, particularly to children. 1,000 paedophile images found on his last arrest. That's why he's in jail. Uh, but he's been in and out of jail ever since uh, killing poor little Jamie Borger. So that a little later. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, the COVID uh, teachers, uh, how skipping school during the COVID crisis, uh, well, being kids not being able to go to school has fostered a whole culture today where skipping school is totally socially acceptable. Parents taking their kids out of classroom to go on holiday, etc, etc. Uh, talking about that in a little while, plus uh, perhaps reflecting on uh, the disgraceful £3,000 a day payments to consultants to stand in for striking junior doctors shortly before the uh, consultants themselves joined the fray. Of course, today, second day of the consultants and junior doctors standing outside hospitals uh, where uh, patients die just behind them and they send their placards. Uh, more pay, you know, more pay. We only get 150 grand a year. Yeah, do one. 
I'll give you less. I mean, let's take money away from them. Uh, let's offer them a pay deal of uh, the consultants. If you don't want to treat patients, about 50 grand a year. In fact, 50 quid a year. How about that? Uh, talking about that in just a little while. But uh, first, let's uh, discuss a number of issues uh, with my regular guest, uh, political and social commentator, James Melville. Welcome, James. Hi, Kevin. You well? I'm very well. Now, you are very interested in uh, ecological issues. Uh, what did you make of Rishi's dramatic U-turn yesterday on all of the government's green pledges? It's being called the bonfire of the green pledges. So all of a sudden, uh, he's not going to ban petrol and diesel cars, new ones by 2030. All of a sudden, he isn't going to fine us or even potentially send us to prison uh, for not installing heat pumps. Uh, all of a sudden, the government's entire approach to greenery has changed. They see it now as a vote winner to tell people we won't make you poorer and colder. The only mystery to me is they ever thought it was a vote winner to do that, to make people poorer and colder. Uh, it's as if uh, a great shaft of light has uh, descended upon uh, Downing Street and suddenly he's had this kind of epiphany. Uh, why did he feel that for so long that this is what people wanted? to be colder and poorer? Well, I think he was going along with the agendas and maybe their own internal research might have suggested that this was the right thing to do, even though it was crass logic. But I think it's a byproduct of what's happened in recent by-elections. I think the Tories see this as something that, in terms of the net zero agenda, the public don't buy and it's they're potentially losing votes. And it also blindsides Labour a little bit as well in the run-up to the next election. It's done purely for political oh, reasons. Yeah. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. 
Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Good with that, yeah, but, but good. I, yeah. Still think it's, I still think it's good. I know you're very keen on, uh, you know, eco issues, uh, but it cannot be at the expense of British citizens' quality of life. And that's what it was. We've been charged hundreds of pounds levies on our energy bills. We're being told you can't drive petrol cars, you shouldn't fly to Spain for your annual holiday, and so on and so forth. Uh, that's not a vote winner. You're right, it's political, but I think it's a good thing, don't you completely i do i mean and i'm an old school environmentalist i believe in basically trying to in inverted save the planet about land and the sea and the air cut pollution and so on give as much support to farmers who are the true environmentalists and so on but i'm not a supporter of net zero i think it is crass logic a whiff of corporatism whereby we are paying more taxes for giant corporates to get a lot of subsidies and solutions that hammer the poor. EULA has been a perfect example of that. Mm. And then there's also the gross hypocrisy in things like electric cars, you know, which are, in terms of the battery, the cobalt component plundered from the fields of, of Congo with child slaves. And also, the numbers don't add up. China emits more carbon than the rest of the developed world put together. Yeah. So maybe there should be a discussion had about that. Rather than putting draconian measures in place that hammer the vulnerable and the poor, enterprises and business, and day-to-day -day life as well. A lot of it is disruptive, a lot of it is crass logic, and a lot of it damages the economy. So from all putting all that together, it's the right thing to do. But yes, he has framed it around political motives running up to the next election. Well, I mean, good for him, I say, because uh, it certainly put Keir Starmer on the back foot. And of course, Keir Starmer's response to it, it almost incredibly, politically illiterally, uh, illiterate, if you ask me, is to say, well, if Labour get in, we'll bring back the uh, ban on petrol and diesel cars in 2030. Why does he think that's a vote winner? I mean, Labour should be doing every single attempt not to win the election. They've got this election in the palm of their hand if they want, largely yeah. because of the economy. People don't really buy into Sunak, and they're basically bored and fed up with this government. It's time for a change. But Labour aren't offering, offering that effective change. I think on net zero, on the other side of the election, there should be a referendum on net zero. It is time to let the people decide on this actually Great hugely point. significant issue. And we can get both sides of the debate out on this. Not just on one aspect of environmentalism and not accuse people of being climate change deniers because they're against net zero. What people are against, like the COVID response in a lot of cases, is crass logic solutions, draconian and authoritarian measures that basically the public are not going to buy anymore. And it's time for a referendum on this. Uh, really good point. So do you think uh, that uh, anybody in the entire country, I'm talking about ordinary, hardworking citizens, give a flying fig? Uh, that uh, Britain is uh, the world uh, seen as a world leader in uh, cutting back carbon emissions in our green policies. Do you, th that's what they think in Westminster. That we're all going around going, well, my life's a lot worse than it used to be. I'm not allowed to drive my car, and uh, my uh, my energy bills are soaring much higher than they've ever been. Uh, and they don't want me to go on holiday to Spain. Uh, but at least Britain is a world leader in battling carbon emissions. Why do they think any of us give a damn about that 
yes, highfalutin talk from people in their ivory towers and gross hypocrisy. These are the same individuals who at COP conferences and summits wang on about base net zero, and most of them fly there on private jet. <laughs> yeah. And they travel by motor. <laughs> I know. It's ridiculous. You've got that Bill Gates, for instance, going on about this, yet he buys private jet companies and he's yeah. got a fleet of them. He says it's his guilty pleasure. <laughs> Prince Harry does the same thing. It's what Charles is doing in France at the moment. He could have gone by oh. train, couldn't he? Why did he go by plane and then stand on the Champs-Élysées watching a massive great flyover? I mean, the hypocrisy but is off the scale. It is, and that's what people see. So they're having to deal with these stupid draconian measures like ULES which does target the poor and the vulnerable. And meanwhile, the highfalutin lot are clinking their glasses at whatever summit might be, telling us plebs to basically do our bit and save the planet. And they impose all these stupid draconian measures that aren't going to make a blind bit of difference. If you want to have a discussion about net zero emissions, then that discussion should fundamentally be had with China and India rather than what is happening here. And yes, they can go on and say, look at Britain, aren't we fantastic? You know, we're lowering, emiss lowering emissions. But actually what's happening is it's causing collateral damages in so many other ways, in particular on the economy, in particular people's livelihoods and disruption, and also the premise that we are paying increased levies and taxes to subsidize solutions that quite frankly, are not going to make much difference. But what it is going to make a lot of difference to is people's day-to-day -day lives and ability to run their lives effectively and also manage their businesses effectively. We've got too many measures on this that are just pure crass logic implemented and enforced by individuals who do not behave like that themselves, in particular some of our political leaders. Yeah, like uh, Zach Goldsmith uh, criticising the government like crazy, criticising his own party for this U-turn. Uh, this is a guy who has never known financial hardship in his life, multi-zillionaire, got about three mansions, uh, and this is the problem. Uh, all these people, it's do as I say, not what I do. Uh, before you go, uh, uh, James, I want to get your take uh, on uh, John Venables, the killer of poor little Jamie Bulger all those years ago. Uh, unlike his accomplice, uh, Robert Thompson, who seems to have got his life together and we've never heard of him since. Uh, John Venables uh, has lived a very nefarious life, uh, went to jail for a fray back in 2008 and is currently in jail serving a pretty long sentence uh, for uh, possessing more than 1,000 images, uh, paedophile images of poor little kids uh now if you they let these this guy out he's a danger to the public he's a danger to children and yet uh, the parole board uh has granted him a two-day hero uh, hearing in november uh now i don't mind the fact he gets a hearing that's the legal process everybody should have a chance to say let me out uh, if uh, i can they can what i don't like is the parole board because I don't trust it to make the right decision. It habitually makes wrong decisions about letting dangerous criminals out onto the streets. John Venables is definitely a danger. Uh, you know, basically, the parole board, do you trust it to make the right decision here? Because I don't. No, I don't. I think most of the public would agree with everything that you've said, Kevin. Um, I think the family should be the ones who should be considered first and foremost with this. You know, what is the definition of justice? And also, what is the risk attached to that? I'm deeply uncomfortable about this. 
And I think the majority of people in the country would share the same sentence. In particular, the most important people in the arena of the story, the family. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, I think we're running a risk here. Um, and I think we've got to get to a point whereby, yes, the processes have to be put in place. That's part of our system. But at the same time, what we've got to do is make sure that the wishes and regards of the family is the priority here. But I think going down this route poses a huge risk. Yeah. And I think if anyone was in the position of the family, they would be saying the same thing, expressing the same concerns, which they are. And I think, you know, our political leaders, I think, need to get involved on this one. Um, it's not stopping the process, justice and law, but there needs to be huge consideration about what the cause and effect of any decision is in this. Agreed. And uh, Denise uh, Fergus, uh, Jamie's mum, says if you let this guy out, he will kill another kid. Uh, reflect on that. Uh, James, great to talk to you as always. Thank you so much for your time. James Melville, their political and social commentator. When we come back, we'll be returning to the uh, John Venables issue and uh, considering uh, the wisdom of whether or not it is a good idea to reform the Jimmy Savile squad. The cops want to do that, or they are doing this, uh, to probe the Russell Brand saga. Uh, it's as if, uh, well, you know, the Jimmy Savile uh, squad, they were great. Well, no, they weren't. They were an unmitigated disaster. They just went round, you know, arresting every famous person they could, as if uh, because Jimmy Savile was a gross pervert, then surely everyone else in showbiz might be. So if you're a stand-up comedian or a TV comedian, be careful. The Jimmy Savile Savile Squad, now renamed the Russell Brand Squad. They'll be after you. Uh, that next. I'm Kevin O'Sullivan. This is Talk TV, live from the Talk Radio studios. On the app, on your mobile, Talk Radio and Talk TV. I was just thinking, you know, Daniel Khalif, the guy who escaped from Wandsworth Prison quite clearly, now in the Old Bailey, uh, pleading not guilty to what he clearly and patently did, escape from Wandsworth Prison. Uh, you know, I mean, I suppose he's got the right to do that. Uh, but uh, what a waste of taxpayers' money that we have to hear a case where a guy who clearly escaped from a jail says he didn't. That's our money that's getting wasted. Uh, the law is sometimes an ass, I would suggest. Uh, we'll be covering the uh, John Venables, Jamie Bulger story in just a little while, plus the uh, bizarre Jimmy Savile squad being reformed by the police. Not a great idea uh, in just a little while. But first, uh, let's talk about the COVID crisis. A couple of elements of it uh, uh, are rearing their ugly head right now because, of course, poor, the poor kids of this country, disgracefully, scandalously, uh, yeah, well, basically kept out of the classroom for two years because teachers thought that, uh, you know, they'd give them COVID and they described kids as, you know, a COVID factories. Kids should have been going to school because kids weren't even susceptible to COVID. The chances of kids getting COVID and dying were next to zero. Uh, and most of them, you know, if they got it, it's like bit of sniffles. So they weren't even in danger from the virus and yet they were banned from school by teachers who uh, like nothing more than not going to schools to teach kids, uh, either because of the Covid crisis or latterly because of strikes. Uh, so uh, it now emerges that uh, because of this, uh, it has made skipping school socially acceptable. And another uh, pandemic result, uh, if you like, uh, has been highlighted by the Channel 4 boss, Alex Mann. She says uh, that the pandemic uh, has produced a generation of 
kids or young adults, Generation Z, they call them. I call them Generation Useless, uh, who have uh, no social skills and literally cannot handle being in the presence of or working with or communicating with anyone with whom they don't agree, who, has different, who have a different opinions from them. Uh, you know, so the COVID crisis, the pandemic and the lockdowns, they had some really uh, detrimental, far-reaching effects. Uh, let's sp speak to the uh, executive head of St. Thomas the Apostle College, Serge Safai. Uh, good morning, Serge. Morning, morning, Jeff. Uh, do you find, I mean, what's happening now is, is, as I've just stated, apparently more and more kids are just deciding on any given day not to go to school. Uh, some of them are just skipping school on a long-term basis. And parents are now regularly taking their kids out of school to go on holiday during term time. Are you finding this to be a problem? Well, it's been, it continues to be a problem. It was a problem before, but if you remember rightly, at some point, uh, we were asked as head teachers to make sure that these parents were fined for not sending their kids to school. And then, of course, the government. So I would disagree with you. Good teachers did not want schools closed. Rubbish teachers were quite happy to do it, along with the unions pushing for it at every stage. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I'll just say that the, perhaps there are too many rubbish teachers who like nothing more than well, going on strike. I tell you what, and, and you've got the added value of, of the strikes now yeah. where... Good teachers or teachers that have gone on strike need to look themselves hard in the mirror and say, hold on a minute, the kids have had enough. And uh, the idea that they went on strike because of shortages of teachers, well, telling everybody this is a terrible job and overwork is hardly going to help with recruitment. But anyway, back to the point of good head teachers, I like to think I was one, did every stupid thing we could possibly do, waste a hell of a lot of money to try and keep our schools open and get those kids in school. And uh, it was the government the, led by the unions yeah. and goodness knows who else who wanted these schools closed, which was a completely stupid thing. As you quite rightly said, our kids were the least likely to get ill. And what needed to happen, all the resources uh, go towards the most vulnerable, i.e. the care homes, which they managed to forget about, of course, <laughs> you know, and, and, and concentrate on what's really important. Get the kids in school. But, of course, that didn't happen because it's too much like common sense. And we've got a political class that don't really give a damn about our youth. So, listen, I, I might ramble a bit here. And I, I'm really sorry because this stuff... I'm with you on all this. I'm with you on all this, Serge. I'm with you. All right. I'm, I've, I've had three years of this. And now you've got the idea of kids skipping school and parents who similarly now are being bullied by their own children when their children don't want to go to school. Get them into school. Uh, every opportunity you can you can forget the holiday idea now you know the teachers and, and the covid shutting of schools has meant that well why not go and get a a, a cheaper holiday yep. because after all if it's good enough for kid teachers to strike and miss school well we might as go and save a thousand quid on a, on a family holiday so we have set ourselves up here to be completely in the hands of ineffective parenting and lazy kids well congratulations government if that's what was your aim uh, you've succeeded trouble is it wasn't an aim because they didn't know what they were doing and they still don't let me ask you another uh, question uh, school's job uh, you would know as a excellent head teacher is not just 
to tutor kids ac academically. Yeah. It's to get them ready for the real world, uh, to uh, develop their social skills, how to interact with other people. Uh, the uh, leader of the chief executive of Channel 4, Alex Mann, addressing the Royal Television Society, uh, obviously television industry does employ quite a few young people. She said Generation Z, uh, that uh, what, we, what the pandemic has caused is this generation of young people who cannot work alongside, socialise with, <coughs> be with anyone who doesn't ha share the same opinions as them. Yeah, now, well, that think, is really, really worrying, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think she's spot on. I mean, uh, we've always, in the old days, we used to call it people being PC, didn't we? Mm. You know? Uh, but now I feel like we've got a national cancel culture where if anybody hears anything they don't like, they try and make it personal. I bet you get an awful lot of that. Oh, sure. yeah. Don't worry but, about that. Yeah. <laughs> right. I bet you get a to, way to, of life so, for I mean, me. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I mean, you can, you can handle yourself. You're right you about that. Stop. So it's a good point. So sorry to interrupt. Yeah. That, that What I think has happened, and I'm sure not at your schools, uh, mm. but schools... Have uh, ceased to teach. Uh, seems to me uh, the power of argument, debate, civilized debate, uh, and uh, kids these days or younger people. If you don't agree with them, as you quite rightly say, they just insult you or yeah. they just don't want to be around you, uh, and that is really pernicious for society. I yeah. think. Well, I've got no truck with the kids. I'll be honest. Kids are great, providing we bring them up properly. Yeah. And I know there's lots of areas where we as adults. Uh, you know, we've long, I think, abdicated our responsibility to bring them up properly, for God's sake. I've got a bigger issue with adults. Uh, I've been in the position where I've had to go into schools and basically get rid of a few people because they are rubbish at their jobs. <laughs> and I don't know any, anywhere near my kids that I'm responsible for. And very quickly, and the fact that I'm about six foot tall, you know, I'm a macho man. Ma you know, here we go. A very sexist. Uh, a bully, etc. Trying to, as far as as much as they can, try to avoid the fact that they're just rubbish teachers, and I don't want them in the profession. So that's been taken over. I feel that you know we're all being bullied by people who are watching for every single word we say. In case we can get off the point of talking about common sense things, your previous call I was watching about this Venables lad. What? Why is that even a conversation? Yeah, for goodness' sake. Why is that even? But of course, we can't. We have to be very careful in case we upset yeah, somebody, yeah, some what, human yeah. rights. And let's not go down about uh, the wellness, the what's the latest thing they keep getting, you know, mindfulness. Mindfulness. How, what is uh, it? What even all, is all, that? All these things that you can't measure. So teachers, teachers who want to take the day off every Monday now and again, every Friday now and again, you know, why off? I'll tell you what, Serge, I'm going to have to cut you off there for yeah, time alone. Uh, but uh, what we need is every teacher should be just like you. It was great to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. Serge Sefai, the excellent head of St Thomas the Apostle College. Uh, next, Mike Neville, a former Met Police Detective Inspector, Chief Inspector, in fact, uh, on uh, the John Venable saga. That next, I'm Kevin O'Sullivan. This is Talk TV, live from the Talk Radio studios. On DAB Plus, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back. Uh, let's go straight to my next guest, uh, Mike Neville, former Met Police Detective Chief Inspector. Good morning, Mike. Where are you today? Well, at Gibraltar still Airport. In, still Kevin. in Gibraltar on your honeymoon. Congratulations yeah. on Flying that. Back. And oh, you're back now. 
I'm flying back today. Okay, okay. Uh, good to uh, link up with you as always in your globe trotting travels. Uh, now uh, we'll talk about Jamie Bulger in just a little while. Uh, what do you think about this news that has emerged today uh, from the police, the Met Police, that they're going to reform the Jimmy Savile squad uh, to uh, investigate the? Russell Brand saga to probe what's going on there. Now, uh, they seem to have forgotten that the Jimmy Savile squad was an unmitigated disaster. Uh, having sort of let the horse bolt, as it were, having let Jimmy Savile get away with this for his awful atrocities for so long, he then died. So the police seem to, or the Jimmy Savile squad, seem to try to make amends by arresting every celebrity they could, particularly Radio 1 DJs. And I worry now that they've reformed it, that if you're a stand-up comedian or a television comedian, you'll get your collar felt pretty soon. Yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it? With this, uh, new, the, I suppose the expertise is around historic sexual uh, offences. Okay. I mean, because as with these offences, there's going to be no DNA, uh, there's going to be no uh, evidence as such uh, that you can material evidence, and so they, they'll have to use some experience. Hopefully, it's the junior officers and not the senior officers who are making the uh, decisions that will be used on this uh, case. Yeah, indeed, uh, and it is very difficult to investigate uh, uh, historic. Uh, historical uh, sex uh, offences. Uh, so interesting times ahead for the police. Uh, possibly more importantly, let's talk about John Venables, uh, the killer of Jamie Bulger all those years ago. Uh, there were two of them, of course. His accomplice was Robert Thompson. Now, both of these people uh, were... Uh, uh, Mike seems to be swirling around there. Uh, I'm hoping... Yeah, I'm trying to get a better, uh, a better uh, signal for you, uh, okay, Kevin. That's what okay, I'm trying to get. Okay. So, Robert Thompson, they were both granted uh, anonymity. And uh, Robert Thompson seems to have uh, sort of sorted his life out. We've never heard of him since. Uh, John Venables, uh, no such story. Uh, the guy's been in and out of jail. He's currently in jail for possessing 1,000, more than 1,000, serious pornographic images of children, so he is a dangerous paedophile. Uh, he's getting a parole board hearing, two-day hearing, in November. As I say, it keeps saying, I'm not necessarily against that. It's every, every prisoner's right to get a chance of parole. What I don't trust is the parole board to make the right decision because they have a history of letting very dangerous people out onto the streets. Uh, they must surely not even think about letting John Venables uh, back onto the streets, uh, unleashing him onto an unsuspected pub, unsuspecting public. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, absolutely. You would, uh, you would hope that they would just keep him inside forever because he's a very dangerous man. He's obviously a risk to children. Uh, it's his last throw of the dice, though, before this new uh, Victim and Prisoners Act comes yeah. out, uh, where the, the rules will change. Uh, and so the only consideration in the future will be the welfare, the, the safety and welfare of the public. At the moment, they have to consider the prisoners' rights, uh, and that's a big problem. Uh, and as you say, there's often left-leaning liberal types on these parole boards who are, who are too concerned with the venables and not the uh, the people he's had uh, uh, done awful things to uh, throughout his life. As I understand it, the parole board's remit is just this: to consider. Uh, if they release anyone, John Venables, for example, whether or not that person will be a danger 
to the public. That's the only thing they consider. They don't consider the offence. Uh, and that might be a problem, because to be honest with you, if they were allowed to consider what John Venables did uh, all those years ago, OK, he was only 10 at the time, and then consider his subsequent offences, massive great punch-up in 2008, and then clearly a dangerous practising paedophile. So uh, that's what he's in jail for at the moment. If they were cons to consider the, those offences, then he shouldn't stand a chance in hell of getting out. But because they're only allowed to consider whether or not he would be dangerous, uh, they might well, knowing them, make the wrong decision. This is exactly the case. This is the worry with the uh, to the parole board hearings like we've seen uh, with John Warboys. Uh, this, if they do say he's got uh, a parole, though, the Secretary of State can appeal straight away. So an appeal process exists. And I imagine the Secretary of State will not want, politically, Venables to be released on his watch. Uh, and so I imagine it will be a lengthy process, even if they grant him parole. He won't be released for a long time. But the thing is, how do they control a paedophile? You can't, he, he's going to have yeah. a mobile phone, he can access the internet wherever he is. How, how could you control that? The only place Venable should be is in a cell, locked away, so he can't harm people. Yeah, and don't forget uh, the, the thing about the government and the Justice Secretary being able to appeal a parole board decision is they did just that in the case of Colin Pitchfork, who murdered and raped two 15-year-old schoolgirls while his own kid was in the back of his car. Uh, mm. They let him, uh, and the appeal by the government failed, and he was let out, only to be found a couple of weeks later, hanging around outside a girls' school and returned to jail. Uh, I don't think there was any kind of appeal uh, about Gary Glitter, but the parole board let him out, incredibly in my mind. He was sentenced quite rightly to 16 years, probably should have got longer, uh, for vile paedophile offences. This man has abused children all his life. They let him out after eight years. So uh, the government's being able to appeal does not necessarily or does not mostly succeed in keeping these people behind bars. I think we need to reform this entire system. As you said, the Victims and Offenders Act may do that. Yeah, absolutely. This new act will have an effect on that, so it will be a lot better, I think. But we just cannot, we can't trust the the, the parole board, a part of the the blob that controls the country, this left-leaning establishment. Uh, and they do; they will put all the uh, thoughts onto Venables and see him as a victim of society, yes. uh, regrettably, rather than being an evil paedophile who will just cause misery because every one of those children he observes in those videos or images have been physically and sexually abused and and it will traumatise them for the rest of their lives. So perhaps they should take that into account. Uh, and also, here's one factor that I find infuriating, is that when they say, oh, well, we have to let these people out because uh, our prisons are so overcrowded. I believe they're building maybe two or three more, uh, but they're not completed yet. I mean, we need, as a matter of urgency, uh, to uh, build more and more prisons and open uh, and get them going uh, because the government, no government likes to admit they're having to build prisons because they like to say we're, uh, we've got a handle on crime, we're stopping crime, we're busting crime. So uh, we need to build quite a few more prisons so that the parole board cannot, cannot trot out the lame excuse our prisons are overcrowded. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely, because we see the Home Secretary and people to arrest every shoplifter. At the current moment, there's only about five, six hundred spare places in prisons. 
uh, and so how where are they are going to go you, we've got to arrest prolific criminals the the police are only solving five percent of crime if they start to solve six seven ten percent of crime where are those people going to go because I've spoken to uh, criminals. It was one of my jobs to speak to criminals, to get information out of them. And one of the things that was made clear to me is the only thing they fear is going to jail. They have, they laugh at community sentences. So when people claim that tags and uh, and, and cleaning up a, a, a canal or whatever is some kind of punishment, it isn't at all. The only thing they fear is their liberty being taken away and taken away for substantial periods. So I'm absolutely with you. I'd, I'd have it like the Dirty Dozen film where they have to build their own prison and then <laughs> they could sleep in it when it was done but something needs to be we need more prison good idea places that, yeah, that. Down. now you're talking good idea that mike yeah. uh, listen great to talk to you as always safe home glad you had a happy honeymoon uh mike neville their former met police detective chief inspector when we come back uh it is time to talk about uh king charles and queen camilla's state visit to france uh, and all that's going on over there so that next i'm kevin o'sullivan this is talk tv live from the talk radio studios Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Uh, welcome back. Uh, getting a lot of texts about Daniel Khalif, uh, the guy who escaped from Wandsworth Prison. Uh, it was just a few week, couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? Uh, went on the run uh, for four or five days uh, before being caught. Uh, yeah, in the old Bailey today, he pleaded not guilty to what he did, escaping from jail. Uh, that's going to cost uh, the taxpayer probably millions of pounds. Uh, Something mad about this, uh, as uh, Chris in Newbury uh, texts. Uh, man is in prison. Man is caught outside prison. Man pleads not guilty to escaping prison. Why do we even need a trial? The law for even sending this to trial is an ass. Uh, I tend to agree with you, Chris. Uh, here's one from Mark in Norwich. Would you? He's, bit, he's not being entirely seriously, but it's pretty funny. Would you please stop criticising Daniel Khalif? The poor lad must have been traumatised. It is always annoying when you go outside to sort out your bedsheets and a van runs you over and you get dragged along underneath it. And then you get left not knowing where you are. He is clearly innocent. I mean, yeah, what will be the basis of his defence? Pleading not guilty to what he clearly did which was escaping from Wandsworth. There is something kind of wrong about this because it's going to cost us a lot of money. He should just be told to shut up. Uh, now, uh, let's uh, talk about royal affairs now uh, with the former royal editor of The Sun, Charlie Ray. Morning, Charlie. Okay, I mean, I'm, I'm still giggling at your last correspondence. Just, Very well put. I know, it's just <laughs> ridiculous, isn't it? Uh, listen, Charlie and, uh, oh, sorry, King Charles, and uh, we had a memo recently saying we must address uh, the royal family respectfully, but I still call him Charlie. Uh, King Charlie <coughs> and uh, uh, Camilla are over there in France on a state visit. Now, in your days on the road, you went all over the world covering these kind of visits. What are they for? Uh, uh, well, it was a tough job, Kevin, as you well yeah, know. Oh, yeah, so, uh, dirty job, but someone's got to do it, yeah. Now, most of these royal visits are to improve diplomatic relations between countries and also, more importantly, fostering trade between the countries. Now, in the case of France, France is one of our oldest enemies and it's also one of our oldest friends, although the friends part does have a few problems. Yeah, yeah <laughs> say that can, again. As you can imagine. and as With friends like France, who needs enemies? <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, these, these, 
they are very important uh, because it does foster relation, yeah. good relationships between countries. That is the whole point of them. Yeah, I, I get, I get that, and uh, some of the spectacles we're seeing. You know, are quite good to look at. Uh, but yeah. can can we? Uh, I need to talk about Charles's green hypocrisy. Sure. So, at the banquet last night in the Palace of Versailles, bizarrely attended by Mick Jagger and Hugh Grant, among others. I don't know why he went why he went to France to have dinner with a load of British people, but there you are. Uh, he, King Charles, said. Uh, he didn't want foie gras on the menu. Uh, I'm all for that because foie gras yeah, is un unconscionably cruel. Uh, the fatting up of ducks yeah. and geese uh, so that their livers become inflamed and then we turn that into a delicacy. I think that has to be banned around the world. But so in France, it's still very, very popular. Anyway, he banned that. Good for him. Uh, he also uh, banned asparagus being served because asparagus isn't in season in France. And that would mean it would have to be flown in by a jet and that's bad for the planet uh, but apparently it's okay for him and Camilla to fly into Paris sure. uh, when they could well have got a train and it's okay for them to stand on the Champs-Elysees watching this massive great 20 plane jet fly over I mean he needs to get his act together if he's going to I, be a green warrior doesn't he? I think you and I agree on, on, on this point of the royals and telling us about their green objectives and what wanting us to do the same, but they still carry on flying around the planet and you, yeah, watching fly pasts uh, and, and, and everything else. Uh, yeah, they, they need to, to rethink. They need to rethink that, especially just, I think you said earlier on today when you were talking about another subject, there are just too many people telling us what we should do yeah. and how we should do Absolutely. it. But they just ignore the, the, this this ad, so-called advice that they're giving, and just do as they just do as they can. I mean, I, I do, do, do as the, do, do as we say, not and, uh, as, as we as we do. And Charles yeah. is uh, in danger of looking like one of these people who think that the rest of us are little people, and we have to do every everything we can for the environment. But it doesn't apply to them, and that is bad. But on the plus side, I want to play a video now, uh, which shows King Charles in a very good light. I think, an extraordinary encounter as he was strolling alone around the hills and the moors around Balmoral. Let's have a look at this. Hands up, we do our best. Andrew's a minor celebrity in the mountain bike world. Really? Yeah. Not compared to you, sir. <laughs> so is this your summer vacation to Balmoral, is it? The weather was better. Yeah, I know, it's typical. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the weather didn't look uh, very good, but that is Scotland. So he's out there strolling. I like the idea that he goes out for a walk by himself. Yeah. And then he gets encountered by these Scottish cyclists and you heard the conversation. I mean, I don't know why it's a story. It just is. It's just a strange yeah. thing. And I think, uh, you know, this, is the, this makes Charles look like a good guy among I... other people. I think it's very, very good, and I'm assuming that the footage is coming from the cyclist's head camera. Yeah. Because um, I, I can't believe that there's some television crew uh, nearby unless there's a documentary being made. Um, <laughs> I, and, and, I, and I would have thought as well that somewhere not too far away would be his security. You could not have him just 
sort of heading off into the hills all alone. Nobody knows where he is. But, you know, yeah, I, I think that's great stuff. And I think that's one of the great things that he does that members of the royal family do, like Catherine and William as well, as well as Camilla, is their interaction, their normal interaction with normal members of the public is always very, very good. And they always set out to put people at ease uh, right at the start. So you're no longer talking about Prince and the Pauper. You are just talking about two people just chewing the fat about whatever it is they want to chew the fat about. Uh, here's another thing to discuss about Charles. Charles and Camilla in uh, France looking very, very regal. Uh, but I think there is a sort of problem with this couple. I mean, they're both pensioners. Uh, they're Steady not... on. <laughs> well, you know all about that, don't you? Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, they're not the most glamorous, compelling, charismatic of couples, are they? And you sort of think, I mean, I, I, I get how it goes. He's the king, she's the queen consort. But if we sent uh, William and Kate to Paris, it would sure. be, be a much bigger reaction, wouldn't it? Uh, I disagree with you on the charismatic part. I think they are quite charismatic, but you cannot put them up against William and Catherine mm. because that's chalk and cheese. I mean, you know, William and Catherine are the future. They are the they are the rock and roll stars mm. of the royal family. There is no doubt about that. Um, but I think they, I think Charles and Camilla have been doing a good job. And to be perfectly honest, after his first year as monarch. He hasn't done a bad job. It's not been that. It's not been that bad. There are a few minor little hiccups, but on the whole, he's he's done quite well. He he's got the royal family as slim down as possible. He wants to act some middle managers out of the way to save money. Yeah. You can't knock him for that. Just stop flying around the world and yeah. telling me not to take a plane. Yeah, you could take a train to Paris in about two hours. That's what they definitely should have done. I don't think. They thought this through. Another thing I do like about Charles, uh, finally, it took him a long time, but he's now taking a very tough line on the gruesome twosome, uh, Harry and Meghan over sure. in uh, California, didn't invite them to the family uh, event to mark the one-year anniversary of the death of the Queen, uh, taken Frogmore Cottage away from them. I mean, I think he's reading the room well there, uh, that the public do not want him sucking up to Harry. No, I think you're right. I think, I mean, we... we... We discussed this before that it's always difficult in a family squabble, you know, for the parents. It, it must be terrible to have one of your children, you know, have an argument with you and everything else. But he's reached the point of no return. He said, Look, I'm fed up with this. I'm not going to have this anymore. You know, you want to live your own lives, live your own lives. You don't need me. You don't need the, you don't need the queen, your stepmother. Fine. Just carry on and just leave us alone. It's that yeah. simple. Uh, I think, as I say, that's reading the room. Uh, the British yeah. public want exactly yeah. that. And by the way, although none of us celebrate uh, the bitter feud between the two brothers, Harry and Meghan, uh, it behoves uh, William quite well because people like the fact that he too has had enough of his awful brother. Uh, so uh, big up to William for that and big up to King Charles. Great to talk to you, Charlie. As always, Charlie Ray, former royal editor of The Sun there. And uh, when we come back, uh, we'll be talking about inflation and interest rates. Uh, that next, I'm Kevin O'Sullivan. This is Talk TV coming at you live from the Talk Radio studios. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. 
Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mother's Day is just around the corner, and it's time to pamper the special moms in your life. In what better way than with Osea's limited edition skincare sets, featuring clean, vegan, cruelty-free products that are safe for your skin and the planet. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been making seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. This Mother's Day, Osea has two limited edition sets, perfect for gifting or keeping for yourself. Their Golden Glow Body Set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for silky, smooth, glowing skin, while the Glow and Go Facial Set has everything she needs to achieve spa-level results at home. They're so beautiful, you can skip the wrapping. For a limited time, you can save up to $48 on Osea's sets, plus get free shipping. That's Mother's Day made easy. Pamper the moms in your life and get 10% off your first order site-wide with code MOM at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code mom.